The following presentation is a Barrett Sports Media production. He's connected. Jason Barrett says, I'd like to see you here. The answer is when, where, what do you need? Respected. He's got a long and distinguished career in the sports radio business. Truly one of the titans of our industry. And unequivocally invested. This is the place to be if you're in the sports business. He is Jason Barrett. And this is the Jason Barrett Podcast. Now bringing you in-depth conversations with the best and brightest in sports media. And shedding light on the industry's biggest opportunities and challenges. Here's the the president of Barrett Media, Jason Barrett. Greetings, friends. Nice to have you here for episode 13 of the Jason Barrett podcast. I am, of course, Jason Barrett. Just wrapped up a quick trip to Austin where I watched Texas defeat Iowa State. It was my seventh college football trip in seven weeks. No visit planned next weekend as I have a friend's wedding to attend to, but still to come, Visits to Syracuse, USC, and Oklahoma. Some people have asked me which has been the best one, and I thought early on that there would be a clear-cut favorite, but I've learned that you have to look at a number of different things when analyzing all of these spots. So when our 10 trips are complete, I'll put something together for folks to check out, and I'll share that, of course, on social media. Speaking of checking out, today's episode Features a conversation on NIL with Jonathan Pixley of Matchpoint. This is an emerging space in the world of sports, one which opens the door for media outlets to build partnerships with college athletes, and I thought it'd be interesting for media professionals. That's coming up in a few minutes, but before we do that, let's get into this week's What I've Seen or Heard. Attention! Attention! Have I got your attention now? On Friday... Inside Radio published a piece that showed an early snapshot of Edison Research's share of year report for 2022. Larry Rosen's group has done excellent work over the years, measuring the appetite of the audience for a variety of things, but one thing in particular really stood out this year. In 2014, just eight years ago, the share of time spent listening to audio of personalities in talk shows was 74% on AMFM radio. 12% were on podcasts, 14% said other. Fast forward to 2022, podcasting is now the number one category at 41%. AMFM radios declined to 39%, and other now makes up 20%. If you look inside the demos, you'll find 60% of the 1334 crowd consume content through podcasts. 44% of 35 to 54-year-olds do the same, and the only demo still using Radio First is the 55 and Up group. These statistics do not include play-by-play consumption, and I'm glad because games are different than talk, and the numbers generated by -by play-by-play can sometimes disguise problems with the talk station's programming. The results for this study are interesting to me for multiple reasons. First, it shows that the audience of tomorrow is going to know us first and foremost through the digital arena. Podcasting continues to surge, and we've seen revenue in this space continue to climb too. As radio tries to find ways to assure its future success, being strong in digital is vital. I know many sports and news talk shows are attractive to listeners through on demand, 
but I do think we have opportunity in the podcasting space to take more risks, develop new talent, and produce different content not built for the radio airwaves. I know I'm not reinventing anything by saying that, but I see podcasting hits being created by digital brands, and nobody should be better at it than sports radio. Secondly, if digital audio is becoming the location where most consume our content, then how are we to get credit for it? It's no secret the podcast charts are flawed, and measurement of our brands and shows via streaming hasn't been great. So if this is where the dollars are moving and the audience is going to consume us there, then it's imperative that we have the right data to show our ability to create bigger results. I know that's complicated and it requires a ton of bigger discussions at higher levels between radio CEOs and advertising agency leaders, but somewhere down the road, if we expect to generate more money in digital audio, we've got to show something better than terrestrial radio measurement. I see a lot of people in the radio business still clinging to Nielsen radio ratings every quarter, and I get it. It's the system we're dealing with right now. I just hope at the same time that you're studying your digital data, understanding it, and sharing it with your teams, and showing them what wins and losses in those spaces look like. If you're not, there's going to be a day in the future when you get left behind. Third, and this is more of a question for industry folks, when you see data like this continue to show that your audience in the advertising business are moving into other areas, doesn't that concern you or make you want to adjust your focus and strategy to further grow your business? I've shared a lot of information over the years, and I've had the benefit of seeing how things are done by different companies in different cities operating in different spaces. That's something that many of you who operate in one organization don't get to see. But yet there's a lot of excuse-making and defensive responses when information is passed along that isn't favorable to what you're currently doing. Whether it's the way we use social media and video, monetizing our brands through merchandising, or failing to create big hits in podcasting, we've got to recognize that the industry is rapidly changing. And what we're doing now won't work the same way in five to ten years. The evidence is out there. All you have to do is look for it. Radio is still a great business, but so too is digital. Rather than trying to make this a this or that situation, step back and appreciate that this is a great business opportunity. We are the best at spoken word content creation, whether that's sports or news talk. But if we treat the digital audio space like a testing ground for inferior content and talent, or we think it's going to just be fine by relying on radio shows being heard on demand, then don't be surprised when the barstools, ringers, outkicks, John Boys, and volumes increase by double and triple the amount and eventually own a space that was created to assure that radio has a prosperous future. Well done, sir. If you have any thoughts on what I just discussed, jbarrett at sportsradiopd.com is my email address. I'm also reachable across social media. I'll also be talking about the podcasting business at the NAB show in New York. So if you're there, be sure to say hello. Continuing with another opportunity, the NIL space is brand new. College athletes were granted legal permission in 2021 to start earning revenue off of their own name, image, and likeness. And Jonathan Pixley of Matchpoint has been involved in this space from the start. 
His group connects brands and athletes for business relationships in exchange for a small fee. I think media folks will get a few ideas from this chat because there's so much room for exploration here, whether it's using athletes through your own social media marketing, paying them to do podcasts as the volume is done, or other things, whether they be events, merchandising, or something else. So without further delay, here's my chat with Jonathan Pixley. Yo, Jonathan, I know NIL, very new, you know, this really just went into place last summer, you know, June, July, 2021. Uh, it's it's a space that's got a lot of growth potential for media brands, which is why I wanted to talk to you today. I'm sure a number of my media friends are going to be listening to this, though, and they're going to probably Google Matchpoint, Jonathan Pixley. They're going, okay, I'm not necessarily familiar, so give me a quick spiel, if you will, about Matchpoint, your process in, in in the NIL space, and how you guys generate revenue in the space. Sure. So we have a couple of different angles, and I'll, I'll run through them pretty quickly here. One of them is uh, we're we're a, an app based platform, right? Uh, and ultimately, we kind of act like a dating app between local businesses and national businesses and uh, student athletes, but also all influencers. We don't just deal with NIL. NIL is is the premise as to why Matchpoint was, you know, founded to begin with. But um, we have since uh, leveled up significantly because it limits you, right? If yep. you only have about 460,000 college athletes that you can deal with. So, um, and ultimately, uh, we're one of the only two-way marketplaces in the country where um, uh, we'll use a student athlete. A student athlete could pitch a brand and a brand could also pitch a student athlete. And then partnerships can be done on our platform very organically. Um, we also, and, you know, those are the, those are the ones we really love because they're, they're happening when we sleep and we don't know anything about them and money's being generated, revenue's being generated. Uh, we also can act, uh, as a marketing firm to a degree where we have a premium model where if a, a, business came to us with a budget and said, we have this much we want to spend on influencers. Um, you know, can you help us with that? And we can do everything from finding the influencers to, you know, onboarding them onto the app to sending them the offer to, and just touch every single aspect of the deal until the partnership is completed. And then uh, we also manage collectives as well. Let me ask you this. What, cause I read, you know, you had a coaching background before this, obviously this goes in, it blows up and you think about, Student athletes are in right now, and you mentioned 460,000. That changes every year because it's new people. So it's never going to dry up in that regard because there are always going to be new kids going into school to play sports. So, you know, from your standpoint, are most of the business deals that you're doing right now, are they essentially athlete to local business, national business? Are you seeing some media partners as part of that? What's the, what's the split, if you will? Uh, well, a, a lot of them are athletes to local businesses. Uh, you know, a lot of them right now are collective based as well. Um, and then, you know, we've, we've had our premium models uh, with high dollar figures. Uh, give an example. We had a local business a few months ago that wanted to partner with as many teams at our local university as possible. And we went and and, and got five teams involved in one deal uh, for them. And so, you know, that they, they uh, generated some ROI for that, some return on investment. As far as the media aspect is concerned, that is one that we have discussed here more recently, I think. And I think media companies are starting to realize 
the benefit in in partnering with local college athletes because you know it's we have you know attorneys here in town and and different other industries that that'll put them up on billboards right or they'll do commercials or they'll do whatever but it's as simple as you know we hey could could we pay a college athlete to do an interview yeah absolutely you could um and not only that after they do the interview they post it all over their social media and they do that so it's it's the newest form of advertising that everybody is trying to figure out the space behind um it's the cheapest form of advertising for sure uh depending on who you're working with of course right yep. but um you know and if if you work out a deal for example with a college athlete where maybe the post lives and perpetuity or it lives for, you know, until the end of their career or whatever. I mean, that's, you, you don't get that just anywhere. And I think uh, that's what media outlets are starting to realize. I've got a lot of uh, things I'm going to hit you with on this because it's a fascinating topic to me. I know, you know, the volume really got into this early when, as soon as it was announced, Colin Cowherd, who leads that group, uh, you know, launch a podcast with four Notre Dame players Bryce Young was doing a regular show for them. I'm sure there's some other examples in local markets that I haven't seen, but have you seen a lot of activity from media groups in this space? I haven't seen a lot yet. I think it's coming because more people are talking about it. I think that, again, there are certain industries. I think the media is one of them that are trying to figure out at the beginning, okay, is is there a fit? What would we gain from this? What's the ROI from this? Um, and brand awareness and whatever. But the reality is if, if you're a, if you're a national media company, obviously, you know, doing a podcast with a Bryce Young, who was the Heisman Trophy winner, that, that makes all the sense in the world, right? Yep. If, if, especially if you feel like that young man or young lady, if it were a female athlete, were going to uh, continue on in the athletic world or do something of note beyond that, where people are going to, you know, they're, they're still going to be relevant beyond their college careers. Um, as far as local uh, media companies, I, I think it comes down to budget, right? What do they have available? Uh, what is the the following of their local university? So we're based out of Baton Rouge, so obviously we're um, LSU friendly. Although we're we're a national business, right? We're in forty nine states already. We do a ton of deals with LSU athletes, and there are media companies around here who are looking to do those things. And again, like I said. It could be anything as simple as you could do an interview, like instead of interviewing me, would you interview, you know, I don't know, Keishon Butte or whoever yep. you might. Um, or, you know, could it be a, an on-site event, right, where you guys are um, on-site somewhere and and this, this college athlete comes out and not only are they being interviewed, but they can sign autographs or they can do whatever it is. There's just so many different options. Uh, and I think the media outlets are starting to figure it out. When it comes to involving college athletes in things such as social media marketing, you know, weekly radio hits, podcast hits, uh, and appearances, you mentioned, and I'm talking more about the top performers. I know you in the past worked with Daryl Stingley Jr. before he went to the NFL when he was at LSU. What type of price range are brands looking at if they want to explore a marketing relationship? And I know that that's broad because, you know, you ask somebody to do one social post versus a weekly post during the football season, obviously the range is going to change. But, you know, when you're looking at it from the media inside point of view, brand managers, as you mentioned, the budgets, they're going to look at it and go, okay, is this something that I can do for 17 to 22 weeks? And not only 
justify, you know, from growing the awareness in the audience, but also I've got to be able to then go out and sell it to be able to recoup my investment. So where does it start and how big have you seen it get? So I think at this point, and again, I'm not trying to dodge the question. I'm going to, I'm going to give you an answer, but there's going to be some math involved here. Mm -hmm. It is, I can't give you a number specifically simply because it's based on what's the social media following of that individual. That's a big part of it, right? Yep. Also, what is the local appeal or national appeal of the individual? Um, so typical typical standard rate is somewhere around if you, and I mean, we're in an Instagram world right now and TikTok world, right? So uh, let's just use Instagram would be $10 per thousand followers, mm -hmm. right? And if the engagement level for that individual is high, then it's going to be a little bit more than that potentially per thousand followers, right? If you add on top of that, which a lot of times you, the reason why they have a big following is because of their performance on the field or on the court or in the pool or whatever, right. uh, you add on top of that, uh, you know, <laughs> a, a certain level of fame. Well, that that's going to add a little bit more to it as well. And then depending on the deal, like, so, is it just a regular social media post on Instagram? Well, I've kind of given you some of the math for that. Is it an on-site event? Well, you know, there's going to be some, some additional right. funding involved. And, and look, the reality, let's just call it what it is. Agents can be involved now. Okay. And so since agents can be involved, um, they're going to want their cut too. They want yep. their percentage as well. And so, um, you know, it just depends on who you're dealing with, you know, at, at match point being third party, um, we're, we're charging a lot less for deals to run through our app than an agent would charge yeah. just because the dynamic that we, we operate by, look, let's call it what it is. You want Bryce young, or you want, let's take Livy Dunn, the gymnast here. who has got millions of followers here at LSU. Mm -hmm. You want them to come do an on-site event. It's, it's going to cost because they have agents, they have fame, they have a following, um, so on and so forth. So listen, it's no different. You know, I've built stations in San Francisco and St. Louis. Do you want a Rams player, Cardinals player? I've done deals with Clay Thompson, David Lee, tons of Giants and A's. Well, they bring an audience. Bryce Young does an interview that might show up on Sports Center. There's a reason why you're paying sure. a premium for that. Then, you know, if you're an Ohio State fan, you want CJ Stroud. It doesn't mean Marvin Harrison Jr. isn't good, but CJ Stroud's more likely to land on college game day being promoted than Marvin would. So there's going to be a difference in premium with all of that. You know, the one thing that I find interesting, and I've been doing this college football tour, I go away every uh, weekend for the last six weeks, but I was in Tuscaloosa a few weeks ago. And, and I'm sitting there as we're, I'm thinking about this conversation. I'm going, all right, if I ran tied 100.9, which is, all about Alabama football and obviously Alabama Crimson Tide run that city. I'm in a meeting with my boss. I'm literally sitting there going, what are we doing with Bryce Younger, Will Anderson? while well, we have a shot now to do something that would boost our brand. So are we putting their image in a social media post, which helps us cut through the clutter on social media? Because the other side of this is brands do buy ads on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, but half the time, you know, it's just noise. So if I have an image of someone like that that could help elevate my brand, maybe they're wearing a T-shirt and we create branded merchandise or we're doing an autograph signing. Like there are ways to recoup the investment. My question for you, obviously, if you're on the brand side, you can come up with a million of different opportunities here. How interested in what, what's the appetite you see from the college athlete to want to do a lot of these things? Because like when you get to 
the Daryl Stingley level, the Bryce Young level, you have such a demand on your time to make sure that you excel on the field. If you have 50 marketing deals going on and your head's not right for the game, you might cost yourself a lot of money. We see a lot of interest in it because, look, the reality is kids like being interviewed, right? They they like being interviewed. They like their face on TV. They like their face on a a podcast like this or whatever. Um, the, The question is, what are they being advised to do, right? Yep. And so not only from an agent, but from, you know, mom and dad, uncle, whoever, right? Um, and so the initial response typically from the kid is, oh, yeah, I'd love to do it, right? Especially at that age. Um, and I think that really our our education, the education that we will, kind of, I guess, try to help them with, and this is, look, use the NIL, and, and in particular, with a media outlet, right? Use it as a training ground for what you're fixing to get whenever you do sign that big contract. Learn how to deal with brands. Learn how to deal with endorsements, even though they're smaller now than they're going to be then. Um, and then learn how to develop these relationships with these different media outlets so that, you know, God willing, one day you're you're surrounded by all these media after some huge win or some big loss and something bad happened. And you know how to navigate through all of those things. Um, and, and I'm going to tag on to that real quick also from the media outlet side. So you were in Tuscaloosa. I think a, a media outlet group, any brand, honestly, what I would advise is you want to develop that relationship with that program, right? Yeah, it's Bryce Young. I got it. But there's going to be uh, another <laughs> Heisman Trophy quarterback at some point in time at Alabama that yeah. if everything goes well with Bryce Young, they're probably going to want to be involved with you guys as well or the other brands that are involved with them. So um, I really think it's an education process. A lot of people don't know what to do with it right now. Um, the kids are getting good and bad advice. But, um, yeah, from that standpoint, I think the kids are super interested, but ultimately it comes down to – Who's advising them on that? You know, you made a great point about uh, the practice element, and I hadn't thought about that because before, you know, whether it's Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, whoever goes on to the next level, you got to get comfortable talking in front of a camera. You got to get comfortable being asked questions on a radio station. Uh, You also may wind up at the next level and done in the league in three years, and you're going, what am I going to do next? Well, if you had built a few relationships in the media space, you might have a future opportunity to talk about a game you love. That being said, when I look at it from the media side, there's also an opportunity to groom future talent here. Because whether it's, you know, it's easy to look at the star and go, yeah, we want Bryce Young to do a radio show if I'm in Alabama. But there might be the backup center on that franchise. It might be my my afternoon guy one day because he might not have a career at the next level. So From the media side, you know, because this isn't just about the top players. This is, you know, 4,000, 5,000 athletes now that can actually build relationships uh, with these these media partners. What what should media brands be doing in terms of finding and grooming future talent? Think about how many former players you see in different versions of media right now. Um, And even though... Uh, especially in the NBA world, a lot of the former players drive me nuts to listen to. Okay, <laughs> it's just, just reality. Um, I think that people want to hear from former players because there's some sense of credibility that they bring. Obviously, having played the the sport that they're commenting on, um, and so yes, I do think that that's a huge part of it. And and a lot of a lot of the former players you see doing it um, in the local markets 
are people who didn't make it professionally, or maybe they, like you said, maybe they made it a year or two and that's it, but they're still, you know, a legend back in their hometown where they, where they played college ball. So I think uh, absolutely I would be targeting that. And you have the, the, the good thing about it with the NIL world, since so much of it is social media based right now, you can get a pretty good sense for, you know, how that, that young man or young lady would, would, perform in front of a camera, right? Or what type of character they have or uh, what type of, of presence they have in society. And so absolutely, I would, I would be grooming people with that. And, and look, if I were um, in, in this boat today, I, like, I, I have a, a, my oldest daughter, for example, that was something that she was looking into going into, right? And this you know, would be a great angle to to develop the relationships heading into it if you're a college athlete, because you're going to get covered if you're successful on the court or on the field or in the pool or in the gym or whatever. You're going to get covered by those media outlets. Might as well get to know them and, and possibly develop something beyond that. You know what I was just thinking about is usually like when you're on the professional level and you're dealing with a media outlet, you have to strike a relationship with the agent. You probably develop it with the player, you know, one-on-one. -on -one. And even though you may have the relationship with the team, players are able to do their own deals. Team can't stand in their way. If I'm in a local market and let's say I'm partners with Alabama, I run their games on Saturday. I could go strike a deal with Bryce Young, but Bryce Young's going to leave in a few years. And if I want Alabama's goodwill with me for the long term, I probably better have a good relationship with Alabama where I'm not just cutting them out going and they find out in a press release that I that I took care of their guy and I put him on my airwaves. So what should they be doing with the school to make sure that they're obviously getting what they need on the air to be able to grow audience and grow revenue, but also not butchering a relationship that's going to be key in a community? Well, the, the key that the university would be looking for is obviously they want the NIL opportunities for the athletes for them to generate income, but they want to make sure it's compliant, right? And so the, the compliance aspect is a big, big deal. So um, getting educated on that part of it, which, you know, compliance offices across the country have that ability. There are third parties like ourselves who have the ability to educate you um, not only on the compliance part, but the deals that we've seen done that can help you uh, know exactly how to go about it. Um so I think that's the first step. You have to be educated so that you don't screw up a kid's eligibility, right? I mean, that, that's a huge, huge deal. And then on top of that, communication, you know, find out who you need to be communicating with. The, the reality and the, the legality of it is you don't have to, if you're a local business, you don't have to go call LSU's compliance office or their athletic director's office or whatever and say, hey, I'm thinking about doing a deal with so-and-so, is that okay? Uh, but communicating with the people that you need to just to keep them abreast of what's going on and then making sure that the kid that does the deal with you reports it to the university, right? right? Because right. that's a big deal. They have to they have to disclose it. And look, that's not happening everywhere. It, if it's done through a platform like ours and there are others that do this, it's automatically reported. But I don't know. I don't know how you were when you were that age, but when I was playing college basketball and, and I'm 18, 19, 20 years old, the last thing I'm thinking about doing is going to fill out some <laughs> report that I made, you know, a few hundred bucks on some deal. Right. You know. Right. So, um, get educated before you even start the process. Some are going to question, is this a long-term growth plan or is this, you know, a red hot bubble that bursts in a few years? When you look at it, I mentioned earlier in the conversation how 
students change every two to three, four years, right? So there's going to be a new pipeline here, but who knows where the world is in 10, 15 years and what changes with these things. Where do you see this going? Because we're in the early innings here. It's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, the can of worms has been open for the for the naysayers, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the pot of gold for the people who like it, it's 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 there. It's going to be there. Um, and again, it comes back to legal issues. Uh, the NCAA, just bluntly, has operated in that kind of old school, good old boy organization mentality forever. And they have, without actually um, – you know, claiming that there was no antitrust policy for them to operate by, uh, they've operated against it and never have had to answer for it until the Austin case came out, right? Yep. And now they've had to now they've had to answer for it. So I would say this, and this is is speculation, of course, but the NCAA is going somewhere before NIL goes anywhere, uh, <laughs> because we're to the point now where. You know, when the National Labor Relations Board starts talking about should they be considered employees of the school, right? And and I, I don't, I'm not saying that that's going to happen. I'm not saying it's not going to happen though, because the minute that you are classified as an employee, um, you can do things like ask for better insurance, for retirement, for uh, revenue sharing. You know, and when you get to the point where you're doing revenue sharing you are now a pro <laughs> at that point yep. uh, and you can unionize and you can do all these different things. The thing, the, the irony in that whole scenario that I just painted for you is probably the most complained about NCAA rule since its inception is the one that has the best chance of stopping what I just painted for you from happening. And that is title nine, yep. right? Yep. Uh, because you can't really pull everything off that I just said fairly. And I know, look, before everybody gets up at odds, okay, I know football generates the most money, men's basketball, in some areas, women's basketball, baseball, okay. And I get it. I understand. And I'm I'm with that. But what happens to all these other sports if you go that route? I mean, are they just gone? I mean, are you telling a kid who works just as hard that just because not as many people watch it, that he can't play college lacrosse and fulfill his or her dream and get a college scholarship and his education or her education paid for, that, that that's you have the- rosters in football expanded to 106. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm going to wrap with you in a minute on one question I've got for you on the, the media uh, executive side, if you're in their shoes. But I'm trying to think of like, could I find a negative to this? Like, and I, most of it is very positive. Like the athletes should get paid. They're making these universities a ton of money. There's no reason they shouldn't get a little bit, especially if someone's willing to pay for it. But I've come up with it. Okay. EA Sports College football game. If I'm playing a game and I'm missing half of the roster because EA Sports didn't pay them, I'm pissed. So uh, how do they get through those? Because that's a Big deal. I mean, I'm sure that they'll figure it out. EA Sports makes too much money with what they do. But now you're talking about paying every university, every player from the Bryce Youngs to the last guy on the team. I mean, that that's that's going to get pricey. But there are schools already doing that. You, I mean, you understand that. There are schools, and it's collective-based, but, like, I think it's TCU is paying their athletes – is it $25,000 guaranteed, right? I don't think – I'm not, not sure about the walk-ons. 
uh, SMUs, like 35 or 36,000 that's guaranteed. Now, granted, those kids, they have deliverables that they have to meet. And, and right. do. Um, so what would that look like? But you, for EA Sports, it's simply paying for the name, image, and likeness of right. the player. Now, if you are, I, and I'm in the same boat because I just I'm read sure it. they paid the schools in the past, but, but right. the school's not giving the cutback to, to the athlete. <laughs> Right. But I think that, you know, I just read something on EA yesterday where they are, they're looking to do that, right? They're looking to bring it back. Uh, and that's exactly what's going to have to happen, by the way. It's one of those, like, you know, I think about it, like, in terms of Madden, like, yeah, they're doing it already, but they make so much money. But college football, now it's a different world. You didn't have to do that before. Now you actually have to. Same if, you know, they have a college hoops game. All right. If you're a general manager or you're a radio or TV executive, and you're inside your company trying to look at this space, you're going to ultimately come back and go, what should we be doing? How do we make money with this? If you're advising them on what they should be doing in this op with this opportunity, what would be the first step? The first step is to identify who you feel like you can, uh, what athlete or athletes you can develop a relationship for a season, right? Um, so, and, and honestly, depending on budget, of course, it, it would be ideal if you could have fall, winter, spring covered and that way, and you pick the sport in each of those, but obviously in the South, you're going to pick, hopefully partner with a football player if you can. Yep. Um, but I, you know, look here in, in Baton Rouge, uh, gymnastics is a huge deal. Right. Um, and that runs at the same time. It's still not going to generate the same number of eyes as football, so I would I would pick an athlete in each of those seasons that you could partner with and develop something uh, uh, of continuity with them. Is it a podcast? Is it a weekly interview? Is it, um, you know, uh, a documentary of sorts, right, uh, where you're, you know, you're following around on campus as long as the school is okay with it and the coaching staff is okay with it, which the, the, I don't know how some of these coaches are dealing with this, but that's, a, that's another topic. Um, look, if it's one athlete, from the school and you yeah. take it for the whole year. So be it, but it's gotta be something that gives you a big enough sample size to determine if you're actually benefiting from it, from a brand awareness standpoint. I mean, from the athlete side, are they more inclined to you mentioned earlier that, you know, they like to be interviewed. So obviously whether it's a weekly radio hit or a weekly podcast, it's probably easy. It takes 15 minutes of time. It's getting on a phone or on a microphone, pretty easy to do. Posting to social media. Okay, great. I could promote you. And if you know, if you were buying Facebook ads and you're gonna use my image in the ad, doesn't really take too much. I'm basically licensing you to put put my face out there and say, I'm wearing your radio station t-shirt. I listen to them, you should too. Easy to do, right? But if you're doing a two-hour appearance at a football party or you're signing autographs or the stations creating merchandise with your face on it, right? I think of Trevor Lawrence when he was at Clemson and you got the bandana and the long hair. I'd be building a shirt around that, but it's probably going to cost me more money. So based on what you're seeing so far, are there things that you find pushback from athletes on? No, because I think the 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 main thing that, you know, kind of under the umbrella of what I was discussing with you, obviously, if you're picking an athlete and it's let's say it's a football player, obviously, there's going to be a sit down conversation and you're going to get to know that individual and, and talk to them about their likes and dislikes from that, that you will kind of gain knowledge as to what you need to do, uh, what they're not comfortable with and flat out ask them. Right. You know, look, here, here are some ideas we we have. What are your thoughts now, granted, you're the ones 
paying the money. So it's your decision at the end of the day, but making that individual feel comfortable to where that they can, um, you know, I guess authentically and, and, and organically promote your brand as opposed to feeling forced to do yep. something. Um, it was a totally different deal. And last but not least, if they want to get in touch with that athlete, this is your opportunity to tell them how to do it. Because, you know, I don't see many uh, radio programmers and GMs going through the university phone book, you know, a directory on websites trying to track guys down or hitting them with direct messages on social. So where am I even starting? Because the school's going to tell me I have to do a deal with them. I don't want to deal with an agent because it's going to get worse. So what should they be doing? If there's a third party that's involved with the school, okay, um, you can certainly go that direction. We have found that, you know, just directly, uh, direct messaging the athletes is not effective um, right. because they have so much stuff coming at them. They don't know what's real, what's not real. Um, and so they, they tend to, they, they'll answer uh, an email uh, because it seems to be a little bit more professional. They're a little bit more uh, prone to do that. Text messaging, they're like, how did you get my number? <laughs> um, and so that's where, you know, we've gone through some trial and error with that. But if you have a third party uh, that has a relationship with the athletes or, you know, somebody at that, that's running the collective at that school, if there is a collective, those would be the first two places I would start because they probably have the easiest uh, track to get in touch with the kid. Like, I mean, there's there's so many different universities across the country right now that, you know, we got we developed a relationship with maybe two or three athletes. And it, and it went well, and then a partnership, and then word spreads. It's like anything else. Yep. Well, you guys can find out more. Go on to uh, – you can look them up on Google, Matchpoint, but matchpointconnection.com. You could also go into the App Store, download the Matchpoint app, and get familiar with it yourself. It's a fascinating space, Jonathan. It's uh, – again, as I said before, we're in the early innings. This thing is literally a little over a year old. Just imagine where it's going to be in 10 years. So – Appreciate the time today. Great insight and uh, look forward to uh, following as this thing built. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Jason Barrett podcast. Please take a moment to subscribe to this show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeart, Amazon, YouTube, or wherever you consume podcasts. And to stay in touch with Jason, follow him on Twitter at Sports Radio PD or read his columns on BarrettSportsMedia.com.